This episode is brought to you by JScreen. Help prevent cancer and genetic diseases in your family. JScreen now offers CancerGen, a state-of-the-art test that analyzes the BRCA genes and over 60 other cancer susceptibility genes. This test can be life-saving. And JScreen's ReproGen test screens for over 200 genetic diseases such as Tay-Sachs and cystic fibrosis. Genetic testing for reproductive risk can save your baby's life. Both tests are done confidentially from the comfort of your home on saliva and telehealth genetic counseling is included. Visit jscreen.org to request your screening kit and claim $50 off either of these tests, Reprogen or CancerGen, with the code JLP50 at checkout at jscreen.org. Offer expires 12 2021 and applies to those residing in the U.S. This episode is brought to you by Meet to Marry. If you're sick of attracting the wrong people, wasting time on dead-end relationships, and wondering how other areas of your life can be so great while your dating life is so, well, uh, disappointing, then it's time to try a radically new approach to call in the loving, lasting, healthy relationship of your dreams. Start doing that today by signing up for the free masterclass, the five powerful shifts to quit attracting the wrong men and finally summon your soulmate at meettomary.com forward slash Jewish love masterclass. That's meettomary.com forward slash Jewish love masterclass. Jewish Money Matters, episode 199, Heather Chauvin, women's leadership coach and author of Dying to Be a Good Mother. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. What things would be different in your life if you were willing to get uncomfortable? sometimes really uncomfortable? What would be the payoff of having uncomfortable conversations, making wildly uncomfortable decisions, and behaving in ways that you resist? You've resisted for a long time, and you would rather avoid than feel the discomfort. I promise this episode is not about self-torture in any way. On the contrary, you're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Today's conversation will give you tons to think about, tons. My guest is Heather Chauvin, leadership coach, host of Mom is in Control podcast and author of Dying to be a Good Mother. Heather's diagnosis with stage four cancer was the kick in the rear that she needed to prioritize her finances and build a rich life in every sense of the word. I feel this conversation, which I had early, early on in September is so timely. For one, it's October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. People, get your mammograms. And two, on a personal level, possibly due to my conversation with Heather, as well as the things that I learned with Rabbi Niven during the LO Boot Camp, I'm taking I'm taking a much more strategic look at how I manage my time. It's really my my focus uh, at the moment, you know, and the tendency to take care of many things for others and or things that I'm quote-unquote, supposed to do, but not necessarily what is really of the essence. So last week, I had to take the day, the week off. I did. I just took the week off completely. Well, not completely, perhaps, but really pretty much off of work. And I did things that I needed to do, like I'm starting to exercise again. That doesn't mean that I can't work and exercise, but I'm transitioning into that, which I've been wanting to do for a long time. I went for my mammogram what? Yes, I'm embarrassed to say that I've been pushing this off for way too long. Please don't do that. I'm so happy that I did it. And so you know what, this is just, it's just a thing that we need to get a little bit more in touch with. How are we utilizing my our time, right? Again, in my life, I made a yearly plan in LO, and I'm committed to certain new things in my life. And Sometimes we just have to do things one time or a couple of times and feel the success, feel the, the, get the momentum, right? To keep going forward. And our brain also, for our brain to start telling us, oh, I'm a person who takes care of my health. I'm a person who takes care of my finances. I'm a person who nurtures my marriage. You know, those things. What are the things that are really important in life? Are you taking care of them or is it, are they falling through the cracks? The trade-off, 
not worth it, as you'll soon hear. Heather and I talk about her diagnosis. What was that like? The changes she decided to make in her life as a parent, wife, business owner. What were the financial decisions she had to make as a result of that diagnosis? And how did she navigate those? Today, she is cancer-free, debt-free, and running a seven-figure business. Here's the lovely and so insightful Heather Chauvin. Heather Chauvin, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Actually, I should say Jewish Money Matters. Even myself, I haven't gotten used to the new name. How are you? It's so great to connect with you. You too. I'm so grateful and excited for this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. I am too. You have so much to offer. Your story is incredible. Heather, I want to start with your journey um, as surviving stage four cancer and how that changed you because I know that that's something that you articulate so beautifully, the lessons that you've learned. I know that it changed you in so many ways as a mother, as a wife, as a business owner, even financially, which is something that we'll get to soon. But take us to that moment of that initial diagnosis and give us some context of what was going in your life then, because this is a moment where they're pulling the rug under you. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, this wasn't expected. Take us to those days. Yeah. I, I mean, reflecting back on this, I always, it was a, I was at my, my bottom. Um, I was at the pit. I was at in survival mode. I was in crisis in almost every area of my life. Mm. And yet I was seeking like inside of me, I was seeking, like I was seeking help. I was seeking mentorship. I was doing the work and I'm using air quotes, the work I invested in things before, even when people were like, why would you do that? That's crazy. Like go back to school, do your thing. And I'm like, I don't feel good. This doesn't feel good. And so before my diagnosis, financially, I was building my business and it was, you know, we, it was a, what do you call it? An expensive hobby at that mm-hmm. point. Um, my husband was paying the bills and, you know, the feedback I received from other female mentors or not even mentors, other females in my life was just make enough to buy groceries, just make enough to, um, you know, to buy a few, buy the gifts. Like, and I was like, but why, but why? So that desire to dream that desire to live the desire to have more was there. Mm. Um, but I kept pushing that down because it was like, that's not what women do. That's Mm. not what women do. So, um, moving forward, going back to that moment, I just felt depleted, depleted. I was at I was at my end. I, my body was shutting down. Um, I remember when that night I was diagnosed, um, when I walked out of the hospital, like my abdomen was swollen. I didn't know why I had abdominal, um, bloating and mild back pain, but I also was getting like fatigued, the night sweats, all of that. And my doctor was like, I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know. But if, if, if it gets worse, go to the hospital. And they did a CT and blood work and on the spot said, we know you have cancer. We just don't know what kind. And I was angry. I was angry because I didn't know how I got to that moment. Yeah. Um, and since then, like since writing the book that's titled dying to be a good mother, um, unpacking, I'm like, this isn't, this wasn't just me neglecting myself. This mm. wasn't just me not unable, you know, self care. This wasn't, this is a deeper conversation for women um, about patriarchy, about what we're taught culturally, um, and unmassive massive unlearning, even saying you want something Hmm. um, is, is frowned upon. So yeah, I was, I was at my wits ends, but I was also, I was also investing in myself. And that was kind of like the weird catch 22 was like, I wanted change, but I still felt like this big, heavy burden that I was carrying with me, but I didn't know what it was. You know, you just said about unlearning things. And the first thing that came to mind is also unlearning this paradigm of it has to be hard. If it's going to be good, it has to be hard, right? If you're going to build a seven-figure business, it has to be hard. If you're going to raise a large family, it has to be hard. Yeah. Um, Can you talk to that a little bit? Because 
I'm like, no, why does it have to be hard? No, let it be easy. Let it be pleasurable. Let it be full of joy. And that's not what we're taught. Mm -hmm. One of the first mentors that I had previous to my diagnosis, um, I was attracted to her because she was talking about things like business and just living your life and being vulnerable and sharing her stories. But one of her big things was pleasure. Hmm. And so my brain went to like, you know, sexual pleasure, because I thought that's what pleasure is. (laughs) But really, it was about like, I had young children at the time, my boys are eight, 11 and 16 now. And how dare I, you know, put a child on the floor with some toys and a few snacks or, you know, in the high chair with a few snacks and me sitting on the couch, reading a book for (laughs) leisure pleasure, right? How dare you attempt to do things to feel good? Mm. And then as I continued down this journey, what I was realizing is that every single abundant, you know, abundance or mindfulness, it was like, feel good, feel good, feel good, feel good. And to unlearn and to break that pattern that the path is truly about feeling good. Mm is so counterintuitive, not only to the culture that we live in, but the culture for women. And now how I see it, and of course, there's also this obsession with we can do hard things, it needs to be hard, right? right? So not only have we been taught previously that life needs to be hard, um, if it's, you know, money is hard to make all the stories that we're conditioned to believe. But now on the other side of that, in this wellness world, it's like, we can do hard things. And I'm like, I'm so confused. I'm so confused. If you want me to feel good, but you're telling me I can do hard things. So I started unpacking that Mm -hmm. and realizing that it's not hard. It's just emotionally uncomfortable. So if I believe that everything needs to be hard, my brain is going to automatically find the hard way to do it, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, I need to do it all. This needs to be difficult. But if I believe it's emotionally uncomfortable, that completely shifts how I see something because asking my children to, you know, help with cleaning or tidying or cooking or anything, right? It's like, Hey, you want to go to camp? Guess who gets to pack you? You're, you're 12 years old. You're 16 years old. Like the eight year old, maybe I'll help you a little bit. This is going to be uncomfortable for me to say, you got this and for them to have their emotional discomfort. So emotion is just energy in motion. And so when I'm trying to teach other people how to be independent and take responsibility for their emotions and how they want to feel, I have to do the exact same thing. So I began to realize this is actually easy. Hmm. This is easy. It's just emotionally uncomfortable. You're telling me the path is just to feel better. So now my focus is how good can it get? How good can I feel in maybe this challenging season? Um, And it feels a lot lighter. It feels easier. It's still wildly emotionally uncomfortable, but I now know that that emotional discomfort is, is where I'm growing. My capacity is where I'm growing as a person rather than seeking hard, which typically leads to suffering and burnout. Hmm. I love that. You talked before about the catch 22, because you were doing the mentor, you were investing in the mentorship in the coaches in the things while, you know, working hard, living your life. And and yet, this happened, right? Your health, uh, your body was telling you something is off. Have you been able to dissect that? Like, how, like, what, what was missing here? Because it sounds like you were doing things that we're told we should do, right? Yeah. Um, giving myself permission to want what I want mm-hmm. was missing. Um, being okay with making other people uncomfortable. So what I realized rather quickly was the I was the glue for everybody. I'm the strong one right? I'm the strong one. It doesn't mean that the strong ones aren't suffering in silence. We, we just shove it down and hold our stuff. I had to really give myself permission to create the space to need what I needed and communicate that with my family. Um, and to be honest, I was the only one getting in my way. 
Wow. Yeah. And I guess that realization only happens as you're transitioning from treatment into, okay, now what? What is my new life going to look like? Because it's the the known path. We know what we know, right? And so, so yeah. many so many people go through a crisis like this and I don't think everybody changes. I don't, I think, I think, I think there's an active process that you had to take to really communicate to your family, to your, allow yourself, give yourself a permission to do the radical things that you needed to do for things to be completely different. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, yeah, I remember starting this process previous to cancer um, because I was done way before Um, like cancer wasn't the thing that transformed everything. I think motherhood was the thing for me because I was 18. I was young when I had my son. And I just remember feeling like I, not this, not this, like, this is not how I want to be remembered. This is not the statistic that I want to live. Um, and I was already in this, like pushing back and trying to lean in, but the diagnosis was, there was something that clicked for me where I was like, I've done, I'm done with suffering never again. Like I will not get here again. I'm like, I really took it as a sign from the universe. I was like, okay, there's something bigger than me. Whatever belief system is at that time, which has evolved over time. There's something bigger than me at play. That's like, are you ready to listen? Hmm. Are you ready to really do the work? Will you surrender and allow other people to help you? Will you surrender and allow yourself to listen to the guidance that's inside of you, that next step that you need to take? And that's when I really started to to do and implement the uncomfortable work. Um, That's when I developed, I talk about in the book, my energetic time management process. Mm -hmm. I was listening to Danielle Laporte at the time, who's been a big influence in my life back then. And, you know, she talked about, it's not the thing that you want. It's the feeling, which is the premise of attracting anything in your life, like become the energy, become what you want to attract. So it's not the bigger house that you desire. It's the space that you desire. Why do you want that bigger house? You want to feel clean. You want to feel spacious. You want, okay, what can you do today Mm. to feel clean and spacious? And so in that moment in my life, I felt dead. Like I felt like I was dying inside. I had no energy. I had like, it was very lack based because I was at my bottom. And so I'm like, well, if it's not this, what do I want desire? I'm like, I want to be alive. I want to feel strong and I want to be energized. Well, when you have nothing left to give, what do you do? Right? So I'm like, what can I do today to allow me to feel more alive and more strong? I watched the people I was surrounding myself with. Oh, that's a big one. Um, I could feel their energy and the people that were like coming towards me and treating me like I was dead or they couldn't handle their big emotions and they're looking to me to manage them, which is totally cool because I put myself in that position where I was the fixer for everybody else. So I simply just held a boundary and I was like, not right now. Like these are not, you can't, visit me with that energy. Or I just didn't respond. Or I said, I don't have the capacity to, you know, have you over whatever it was like, I held that boundary. And so I started surrounding myself with people who made me feel alive, who would come and laugh and be like, you know what? Yes, you're in the situation, but like, you still got so much more life to give like that, a hopeful energy. Mm -hmm. And then I would ask myself, what can I do today? And sometimes that was taking a shower. Sometimes it was sitting on my front porch. And then as I kept like gaining that momentum, I had to take more courageous action. What do you want to do in your business? What do you want to do in your life? Um, And it just, the moment, it was a practice. It was like, it was like a yoga practice or a meditative practice or a prayer practice. Like, okay, how, how much, how can I, how can I get better? How can I get it better? Oh, sorry. How can I get better? I get so excited when I talk about this topic. Um, and it's just been evolving since then. And it's like a rinse and repeat process. How good can it get? 
I love it. And tell me about the role of your business throughout this process. Now that you just mentioned it, because I think I heard you once saying that you actually were in a very, in a, in a good place in the sense that you loved what you do mm-hmm. and what you were doing at that moment. Um, what were you doing and what, what role did it play in this, in this change, in this recovery pr- process? So that was interesting because so previous to my business, I used to be a social worker. Um, I loved my work then, but I was working in a typical government organization. And I knew that that atmosphere and environment, I could not stay in it for 30 years. Like my body was like, not this, not this, not this, but there was like a love and a passion to help children. Um, I love identifying like the conscious parenting, the mindful parenting, like back then it wasn't even a thing. Um, and I started using mindfulness strategies to help children manage their big emotions because that's what I was struggling with as a parent. So in my business, that's where my focus was the second I got sick, but I, before I used to hear things from parents, I don't have time for this. I'm so overwhelmed in my own life. Um, and I, I could see the blocks in the parent and the projection that they were projecting onto their children, but we didn't focus there because I was like, listen, you hired me to help with your child's behavior. Like, let's focus on this. Let's focus on this. The second that I got sick, I, I said, okay, I'm done. We're, if this is your pain point and the reason why you're coming to me, we're going to focus on root cause. And it wasn't that her behavior um, was causing that behavior. It was that the child was mirroring it to them. So my business at the time though, I loved what I did, but I shifted my message rather quickly because Mm -hmm. I'm like, listen, this isn't the issue, but I do remember. And I talk about it in the book. I still was coaching people one-on-one from my hospital bed What? while I was going through treatment. I was literally in chemo And I was having phone conversations with people and they knew I was going through treatment. I had like a handful of clients and I said, if I can't show up for you, I will let you know, like the day before. And I'll say, I'm just not up to it. And they're, they totally understood, but they gave me life. And I will tell you that after those conversations, I was so excited And I could feel my vibration rising. Like I could literally feel feeling sick to my stomach and woozy. And then having those conversations and being like, I'm, I feel high. Like I feel alive. And so I knew I was headed in the right direction with the work Mm -hmm. that I was doing, but my work actually gave me life during my recovery process where people, we have such negative associations with work. Like you're a workaholic, you work too much. And it's like, yes, you can be passionate about what you do. And yes, you can use it to over, you know, to like hide other issues in your life. But sometimes it's actually exactly what you need. And it can be a form of self-care in a recovery process for something. So we also have to dissect like the stories we tell ourselves of like, is this okay to, to be passionate about what I do? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a huge, a huge part of my recovery process. Yeah. And, and, and speaks to, you know, fi- looking for work that is meaningful, that really yeah. energizes you, that, that utilizes your, your potent, your capabilities, your talents that fills you up. You know, we're so taught, well, that's not going to make you money. So just go do the practical thing. Right. And, and, we're searching for meaning and I'm a big proponent on maximize your talents and your capabilities, figure it out. You will make the money as long as you're in alignment with, you know, and it's it, that's, that's not to say that there are not going to be moments of discomfort where you're going to have to push yourself, you know, out of your comfort zone and visibility is a big one and selling is a big one, all the things, but you'll make the money. Yeah. Yes. visibility and selling. There's a lot of things that you, I always call it personal growth on steroids. Like there's a lot of things, parenting and business are personal growth on steroids. Um, relationships, you really got to run towards what you're resisting because it won't come back to you. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it was, it was very interesting. I think because of that fear of judgment, um, when I was in that recovery process early on, one of the weird things I used to tell myself is a hundred years from now, nobody's going to be talking about me. Hmm. Maybe, maybe if my legacy is, you know, there, but no one is going to be talking about, do you remember that time that Heather Chauvet like did that podcast or that live and she looked ridiculous or, um, it, nobody's going to be talking about it. It's so irrelevant. So I'm like, you literally have one life, just do it, just mm-hmm. do it. And it's funny because the people who used to, you know, the trolls yeah, <laughs> were your <family>. aunt Thelma. <laughs> yeah. It's family. Um, it's always the people that should have your back that are the trolls and the ones that, you know, can't even put their face on their profile picture. Like that's a legit troll. It's probably a bot or something. And there's a reason why they can't even show their face. Right. But it was funny to watch those people. And I'm like, but these are the patterns that I'm breaking. The people that are making fun of me, the people who have an opinion or have the ovaries to say something to my face, like imagine how much hurt people hurt people. Right. So imagine what they're feeling deep on the inside. And so I really learned how to come from this place of love and compassion and to see that every projection, every judgment, like nothing is about you. Nothing is about you. Um, And if I can be kind and loving when somebody is trying to punch me in the face, dang, that is that, you know, you've healed a lot when you can do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. How did you, how did you deal with the financial side of this, you know, of treatment of, of of medical treatment? Plus I assume maybe there was a decrease in in your revenue and your income from, you know, the time, uh, although you did mention that you were still working, but give us the financial picture because for so many, you know, when we hear about medical challenges, like, you know, the money plays a big part. What was going on financially? How did you manage this challenge financially? So I love talking about this. Um, And I also I okay, so I live in Canada. Mm -hmm. So the medical system is very different. So traditional medical um, treatments were covered by um, our system, not saying it's the greatest. But anyways, so but that wasn't good enough for me. I I felt like once I was in remission, um, that was it. And they're like, good luck. Hopefully you don't get sick again. And I'm like, how can you, how, why am I here? How did I get here? So I became obsessed with functional medicine, which is Mm. very expensive. Um, and I had no money, like no effing money. We had nothing. We sold everything. So I had this belief that I was going to live you know, when they say, when there is a will, there is a way. Um, I also walk that fine line of the position that I was in as a a privileged woman, meaning like I had credit, I had uh, things that I could sell mentally. I could be like, okay, worst case scenario, you know, we're going to be living with our in-laws or they would be able to pay our bills. So that's, that's, I was able to worry about my backup plan where I understand that a lot of people don't have that. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I did have that I believe everyone can gain access to is the belief that I was going to live. And I had to brainwash myself. Like I remember listening to Abraham Hicks over <laughs> and over and over again, which is like this meditation that was like, your body can heal itself. Your cells are intelligent. And I would walk around the house just over and over and over again, while I was feeding the kids, while I was cooking, while I was cleaning, while I was working, like everything, it was just like, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And I, that my brain started focusing on how can I, how can I? So I remember swiping my credit card every single time I would go to my doctor, my doctor, my functional medicine doctor getting vitamin C infusions, which were like two, 300 bucks a pop. So I was spending a thousand dollars a week, like four or $5,000 a month. I was not making anywhere near that before we were living paycheck to paycheck. And we sold everything, absolutely everything that we could sell. I was like, if we need to remortgage our home, if we need to sell our home, live in the kids, their parents' basement, whatever the hell we need to do, we're going to do it. And you just start selling off material items. You buy minimal. It was like, okay, we need food. So we're going to invest in food because that's 
nourishment to go back into the body, but we don't need new clothes. We can ask people for hand-me-downs. We could utilize what we have. Like I became a hardcore minimalist. Mm -hmm. Um, we had an old camper, um, at the time that we sold for like $3,000, which we couldn't even afford when we bought it. And the kids were so upset because they were kids. They didn't know. And they're like, we're not going to be able to go camping this summer. And I remember being so triggered in my brain, not because I was like, oh my God, I feel guilty. But in my head, I was like, I didn't say this to their face, but I wanted to, I wrote it in my journal. I went for a run and screamed. And I was Mm -hmm. like, do you want a mother or do you want to go camping? That's that's, but I thought, why am I so angry? Mm. Like this anger is not towards my children. There's anger deep within me that I need to be able to heal. And I just remember selling everything. And also when I went in to my doctor's office, she had such a healing environment. And I remember talking to people and getting this hopeful vibe. And I kept telling her this energy is what's, what's getting me by. And it was, I felt hopeful. There was resources, there was opportunities. There was, you know, they had access to people who were like, go read this book and go read that book, like hopeful success stories. And I didn't get that in the medical model. And I just thought this is what's healing people. It's the hope and possibility. And it's yes, there's medicine. Yes. There's science. Yes. There's all of that. But I was the one who needed to lead I was the one who needed to first have the belief, even if it was a little spark that change was possible. And so money to me now is energy. Um, And I knew that I could put it out there. I could swipe the credit cards. I could max the credit cards, but I still had to do the work to attract more. I had to have those uncomfortable conversations. I had to increase my prices. I had to, you know, when someone would say something to me like, I can't afford it. I had to know how to like handle their objection of what's really going on because I didn't have a way out. It was like, listen, my energy is valuable. My time is valuable. I I don't know what to tell you. I'm happy to help you solve these problems, but I can't give it away. I'm going to be dead if I do. And yeah, it just, it put me in a corner to stop using my money excuses or my limiting beliefs. Um, to keep me stuck. And I had to face everything and rise. And it was almost this, like, you know, as I was recovering and healing, I was doing this money work as well, Mm -hmm. because also I remember having to heal. Um, my husband's going to save me financially. Yes. That's a huge one. I was pissed. I was now he works within my company. Mm Um, yeah. It's hilarious. I had to face that. I was pissed. I was like, you need to be able to get us out of this hole. I was so angry that he couldn't rescue me mm-hmm. financially. And I talked to him about this all the time. And he's kind of like, why did you think that was my job? And it, it I mean, we have an amazing relationship, but like, I was like, wow, that's patriarchy. If I've ever seen it in my entire life, mm-hmm. I had to face this, like, you're the man, I'm the woman you're supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do this. And I was like, no, maybe you are supposed to rescue yourself. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity because it accelerated the process where I got, um, yeah, my business just kept going, go, 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 go. He was eventually able to leave his job. He now loves spending more time with the kids. Um, we cope, like we work together very well and he works within the business as well. And it's, I can't ever believe it's just, you, you really see what your limiting beliefs are when you're backed into a financial corner. Yeah. Yeah. Up to that point, um, how involved were you in the financial decisions of the household? Were you aware of what was going on with the money? So I, um, he paid the main bills. Um, I did the extras, like it was like the icing on the cake things. Um, I thought I knew, Um, but I also put the trust in him, like, oh, he's got it, you know, he'll do that. But I remember when I really started taking ownership for my own financial literacy and awareness, line by line, we went through his stuff, my stuff. And I'm like, how much do you think your car payment is? And then when we really looked, I was like, 
oh my gosh, like, I guess you would call it like cognitive dissonance. Yep. Um, where I was like, he, it, it's not the way it's not the story. You know, you're not the Prince charm, financial Prince charming. So I use the avoidance strategy. I use the like, oh, he's got it. And I hear women say this all the time. I just make the money. He does whatever he needs. You know, he does whatever to the money. Um, and then I spend the money. And I'm like, but you should know, like, just sit in those conversations, like ask questions. Um, this is a, a big, healthy part of your relationship because I see it now on the other side where I have an aunt who lost her husband um, in COVID. He passed of cancer. And she didn't know how to pay her bills. And I see this so often with women where they live their whole lives. She had to sell everything and kind of like downgrade her complete lifestyle. And I'm like, why work so hard if you don't even know how to pay the bills if something happens? Like we can't live in that space anymore. Yeah. Talk about learning to have those uncomfortable conversations, but there's so much growth on the other side, right? Having those quote unquote money dates, having sitting down with your spouse and making sure that there is transparency, that you both know what is going on and not because of an issue of control, but because you're building something together. And because one of you might have, you know, strong suits and might you might jointly decide that he takes care of this, she takes care of that. But if God forbid, for whatever reason, they couldn't, then you could take over. You know, and yeah. it doesn't have to be a tragic reason. It could be you just have triplets, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's so, so important. So as you're going through this change, he he kind of he's on he, he he's on board with it and he changes with you. Did you hire a coach? Because this is not something that people tend to address on their own. Money is like a big point of resistance, especially mm -hmm. for women already in a relationship, already used to, he has it under control. He's got this, you know, that's the paradigm. That's how I grew up. That's how my mother did it. That's how my mother-in-law did it. How, how did you, how did you manage this? Did you do it by yourself? Um, no, I, so be, I'm so grateful that I was aware of the coaching world. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a background in therapy and a lot of people will say to me, like I'm in therapy and I'm like, I love therapy. There's a time and a place for it, but you would never go to the dentist with a broken leg. Mm. And they're like, that's common sense. But I'm like, if something isn't working and your gut is telling you I've outgrown this healthcare professional, or I've outgrown this model, it is time to change things. And I think, I mean, the whole industry of money, finances, financial planners, like if you're just, if you're feeling like something is missing, keep seeking out new things. And I remember I had this colleague who was in the money world. And I had no idea what she did. And I was like, I need your help. I ran away so many times. I think her program, which I'd be like, now it would be like a steal of a deal was like $1,500. Okay. And it was one, it was one-on-one -on -one as well. And I don't know how long it was for, but I remember those phone calls where I needed to have like homework complete before the call. I was so wildly uncomfortable. I remember crying all the time, opening my bank account, just crying. But here's the difference between maybe me and somebody else. I would cry and keep my bank account open. Mm -hmm. And then I would open my bank account every single day. She's like, you have to open your bank account every single day until this is exciting to you. And now I love it. I love, I love looking at my money. I actually use profit first. I love looking at profit. Like I just love, I'm obsessed. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Yeah. So I hired somebody. Um, I didn't ask, I never asked my husband permission to hire people. Never. I may say I'm going to do this. He may have an opinion, which he typically does, but now he's like, okay. That's how much 20, 30, 50,000, how much? Okay, cool. Like it's, he's like, you're, you're going to make it work. You always do. And usually now he's reminding me like, trust yourself, trust mm -hmm. yourself. You make good decisions. But at the beginning it was, it was scary, right? At the beginning he, he's like, what is this? Like, what's coaching? Who are you hiring? Why is it so much money? And you really learn a lot about yourself, but you also learn how to speak 
how to use your voice and how to communicate your wants, needs, and desires. And I say that to my clients all the time when they're like, my partner won't let me or blah, blah, blah. Or can I just figure this out on my own? And I'm like, do you think if you could have figured it out on your own, you wouldn't be in this position right now? Like what's your plan and how are you going to execute on that plan? So I hired her and then I just kept, I just kept going. And I, every time I found myself avoiding looking at money or looking at my money, I, I observed my own behavior and I'm like, okay, you're avoiding it, which means you're ready for the next level of growth. So I've definitely had um, multiples on the way. Let's unpack the relationship with the kids, because you did mention that time when, you know, you sold the camper and they were so upset. And and as you were describing the trade-offs that you had to make to make this work, meaning the treatment that was more money than you guys had, um, and cutting expenses from left and right, you know, it's, it's one thing to do it when we're just married or we're single, but it's another to do it when we already have kids who are used to a certain style of living. Right. And they like in that moment, they can't grasp the big magnitude of what's going on. Right. And as parents, you know, how did you manage it? How did you, how did you have those difficult conversations that these were the trade-offs that you were choosing to make. This is how you were choosing to manage your money at this point in time with young children. So my kids were, and I can't remember, but I know the youngest was like a year. So around Mm -hmm. one, five, nine years old. That one's easy enough. (laughs) Yeah. So the nine-year-olds, you know, had more opinions, but if it had, regardless then or now, I'm not going to say it's not any of the kids not that they get an opinion in that sense, but children always have an opinion, right? Mm -hmm. Anytime they don't get what they want. I say they're little emotional manipulators and you have to, you know, you're at that store and they're like, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? And then you watch your emotional reaction. You either feel guilty. So you buy it out of guilt. You just don't want to deal with it. So you're like, fine, I just want to get you this to be quiet. You have to watch why you're reacting to certain things. But what I've realized within myself back then and women in general is we put a lot of value in material. I mean, that is our Western world. Um, Your value as a parent has nothing to do with the vacations you have for your children, the gifts you give them, how much is under the tree, like what holidays look like for you. The point of that is... um, You have to realize that your value is in the connection that you create with your child. And so I would tell my children, you're uncomfortable right now, but this is going to get so much better in the future. Mm. And I also had to watch my reaction to that situation. So if I showed up anxious, angry, fearful, sad, they're, they're literally feeding off of that energy. But if I showed up like, this is exciting. This is an opportunity. We get to get creative. We get to have a staycation. I mean, think about the last year and a half. Think about 2020, right? Where people are like, I'm having a staycation. I'm having this. It's like, you need to learn how to be present and enjoy the moment in your home. (laughs) Because if you don't, you are constantly going to run away from home. Mm -hmm. And if you're not creating that space for yourself in that environment, how the heck are you going to be able to be present with yourself wherever you are in the world? So it wasn't, it was about not putting so much value in the things that we were taking away and almost like positioning it as like, we're just reprioritizing and this is the season that we're in and there's actually nothing wrong with it. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be disappointed. But I do see a lot of families in general saying they can't afford things like investing in themselves or progressing their financial literacy or their health. And then I see it like I see it. And I'm like, there's no reason why you can't do this. You have to be able to reprioritize, you know, as you say, we just can't afford it right now. When I know what the real truth might be, which is 
this makes me wildly uncomfortable. And I feel like I'm going to blow up my whole life if I actually become a better version of myself. Yeah, absolutely. Which speaks to this something that I always say that financial statements are value statements, right? When you and your husband made those choices, mm. and you decided my life is more important. I am doing functional medicine. I don't care how much it costs, right? This is where I'm putting my money. These are decisions, right? That we need to make. And, and, you know, we, it doesn't have to be as radical, but we're constantly making those choices. And if we get really, really honest and we look at our numbers and say, wait, am I putting money in the things that are really, really of value, really are of the essence, or I'm just doing things putting my money in things because that's the way my sister-in-law does it. And my neighbor and my friend and my cousin and my, it's, these are important conversations. Yeah. I, I always tell people, how much do you spend on takeout? How much do you spend on coffee? How much do you spend on booze? Um, tally that up. How much do you spend on extra crap that you're not even paying? Like the, when you go to stores and you're like, oops, you know, went to target and I walked out, blah, blah, blah. You're like, why is that funny to you that you walked out overspending $400, but then you say you can't afford a gym membership. Yeah. Like the truth is it's not a priority for you because it's emotionally uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you need to immediately stop doing those things now, but you're like, okay, well maybe we're going to eat out once a week instead of every other day. And I'm buying that gym membership. And then I'm going to sit with the discomfort when I'm not using it. It's just you. And I'm always decluttering, right? You declutter your closet declutter your finances, like pay attention. What apps are randomly leaking a few dollars a month? Like you have to pay attention to this stuff. And if you don't stop asking yourself, how did I get here? Like, I don't know, take responsibility for how many times you swipe, how many times you tap. Um, but yeah, the value system, but you know, what's interesting to me is I didn't understand, like, I don't know if I was living in denial, but a part of when I jumped into this coaching world, and I started feeling better. I was like, why is everybody else not doing this? And I would hear people like my parents or other people. I'm like, you have a lot more money than me. And you keep saying you can't afford things. Maybe not coaching because you didn't know what coaching was, but you can't afford to go to the gym or, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, I used to believe them. Like I used to believe people that they can, couldn't afford things. But then now I realize stop lying to yourself. Like you're hiding, you're hiding and using money as the excuse. And then you're just putting this negative false narrative perpetually back into society that creates this momentum, especially for women, Yeah, especially for women. And then again, we feel it's so disempowering, so freaking disempowering. Um, and so now I, I kind of understand, I'm like, what's really going on here? Oh crap. If I do this, I'm going to have to have a really uncomfortable conversation and I don't like conflict. Great. So now you get to learn the skill of how to, having to have uncomfortable conversations without never having to have conflict. You can have so many uncomfortable conversations and never argue with people. Now you get to learn that skill. Now you get to learn how to reinvest in yourself. Um, So it's a skill. These are skills, life skills that were never taught. Never taught. Let's talk about receivership, Heather, because you mentioned asking for help before. And I can only imagine that um, being in your situation, you know, um, there, there was there was times where you had to accept the help. And, you know, from a spiritual perspective, we know that the, 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 the women is a receiver, right? That energy yet culturally, we are not taught to receive and we're pretty awful at receiving, receiving love, receiving praise, receiving money. Um, you were put in that predicament where you had to, I assume, was it difficult for you? And how does that trickle or how did that trickle into your life as a business owner? Because as business owners, we got to get better at receiving. We got to get good at receiving. Otherwise, our business is not going to grow. Oh, my goodness. I tell people this all the time. They're like, I just can't find my ideal client. How do I get my next blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, is it that you can't find them or you're just not letting them in? And then you get down to it's like, I just there's three follow ups I need to do of people who said, how do I hire you? And I haven't done them. Hmm. And I'm like, there you go. There's your upper limit. Um, I was wildly uncomfortable because, you know, I'm the giver, I'm the rescuer, I'm the strong one. I'm the one that's there for everybody else or was, 
I still am, but I lead very differently. Um, Discomfort to me, I knew that learning to receive was part of the process, like part of the healing process. And I simply just had to say thank you, even though it was emotionally uncomfortable for me. Thank you. Thank you. I will receive that. Um, and then I would have to sit with the discomfort, people literally dropping off food at my house, money at my house saying, I'll take care of your kids. I'll do this. I'll do that. Um, and then I remember being in the hospital where people would be around me taking care of me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this feels so good. And I thought if you were in the hospital, literally getting treatment, and this is a vacation to you, you got some work to do. And I hear so many people say, I just wish I got in a small car accident so I could get a, you know, but didn't die, didn't hurt myself just so I could get a week of my life, blah, blah, blah. Or I've heard so many COVID stories where they're like, I had to isolate from my family for 14 days and it felt amazing. And I just didn't, you know, it's like, you have to extract yourself from your environment. And I try to do it every quarter now, even if it's just for a weekend to see where you're leaking energy and where you're not receiving, but you have to sometimes be that receiver for yourself. What do you want from other people? You want to feel seen. You want to be heard. You want to be acknowledged. You want to be celebrated. How many times do we get angry at other people because it's our birthday and they didn't celebrate us the way we wanted to be celebrated? It's like, you need to become that person for, for yourself. Yeah. Which reminds me of, you know, when we talk about abundance, right? I often tell my students, like, it's not about waiting until one day, like, look at how you put your lotion at night, right? Like, do you just like, like, do you even put the lotion, right? You bought it, it's sitting there, you don't even put it on. If you put it on, you do it, just enjoy the thing, feel the pleasure, allow yourself to be in that moment of abundance of this is good. You don't have to wait till you have a bigger apartment with 10 more bottles of lotion. You have your bottle of lotion right there or whatever it might be, right? Talking yeah. about the lotion, but right. It's, it's big stuff that we need to learn. You know, I had a student one time who said we were, t- we're doing a group coaching and she said, yeah, L, I never thought of it. But when I pray, I have no shame in praying for all the health for me and my family and playing, praying for full peace for me and my family, full joy and, 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 and fulfillment. Like my children should be well, like, but when it comes to money, like now that you say it, I would, I'm a, I would never pray for that. And I'm like, but why not? You know, God has all of it for you. God has all the money available. God has all the health and all the wealth and all the joy you got to tap into all of it. You got to ask for all of it and accept that you are here to receive it. Yeah. And you have not, yes, receiving and on a very practical sense, take the action required to yes. receive it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We have, we, and, and, which goes back to the, the, that practical, the financial intelligence, intelligence and the financial literacy and all that stuff. Now I want to ask you, Heather, do we have to have, these moments of crisis to really reassess our lives and realign. I mean, I'd like to think that we can do better. Yeah. You get to choose. If you're waiting for crisis, you'll find it eventually. Like (laughs) pray for a crisis. It will come. Stop taking action. Use your excuses. I mean, I think these are habits that women have uh, really adopted well, Mm -hmm. but the answer is no. And I truly believe that the more alive you become, the more energized you are, the more you are living aligned to what feels good to you. Um, It's yes, it sounds easier said than done, but every day you get to choose, is this going to get me closer or further away? Little tiny micro action steps. Um, I think that's how we're going to change the world. That's, you know, the evolution that's happening. And when you really stand in that, I realize now that, you know, I don't need to save the world. I don't need to be on social media every day trying to fight every cause. Um, I'm going to burn out real quick. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be frustrated. But what I can do is show up as my best self, because when I do, I make more, I have more time, I have more energy, and I can give those things back. And that that's my revolution. That's how I'm going to change the world. Mom is in control podcast. The, the title 
made me stop for a second because I'm mm. like, uh, we're not in control. <laughs> if there's anything we've learned is that we aren't. And I really certainly don't want my family to feel like I'm the one controlling the show. Let them understand that there is a God above or some higher power that is holding the reins. So talk to me about the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And that's literally what I say when you listen, I say, listen, this has nothing to do with being in control. It's about how you want to feel and showing up. Um, a lot of people come to me because they want to feel in control and then quickly realize the only control we have over our choices, um, our daily habits, our actions, and how we treat others. Yep. Yep. It's us, right? It's what, what do we need to do to change ourselves to be the best, yeah. the best, the better, the best version of ourselves. Um, take me back to that moment where you find out when you, that you are cancer free. Um, what was that like for you? I felt like I just ran a marathon, crossed the finish line. Um, it was empowering, but it also, I knew my journey wasn't done. I said, okay, you know, phase one is complete. Um, and I just remember feeling like exhilarated and empowered, but I knew that I was infused with this. I don't want to say confidence, but it was a little bit of evidence that if I got this far, I can get that next, I can, I can do it again and I can do it again and I can do it again. Um, so yeah. I like that you use that word evidence because isn't that so important for us to, in our lives, look for the evidence of so many times where things have worked out for you. You yeah. know, there is so much evidence. If you focus on it, if you want to, if you, 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 we have a choice to focus on the good, to focus on all the times that life did work out, right. That things went well. Um, yeah. but it's, it's day, it's a daily practice. It's an awesome yes. daily practice. Heather, let's wrap it up with what I call Jewish um, money matters, fill in the blanks. And this is where I'm going to ask you a few open-ended sentences and you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Okay. When I, when I give charity, I like to give to. Ooh, the first thing that came to my mind was like the old version of me. Mm. So charities that um, impacted me and helped me along the way, um, lifting those women up. Wow. I'm Heather Chauvin, and I love to make more money because everyone wins. Oh, yes. Everyone wins. Let's talk about that. It is so true. Everyone wins. Yeah. You I mean, win. when you're when you've redefined what money is to you, it's not greed. It's not gross. It's not um, mean. You mm -hmm. are especially when you're a woman who is impact driven. You, everyone wins. You feel better. You're nicer. You give more. You lift people up. You teach them how to live more or give more. Um, money is abundance, and everyone wins when um, you're funneling it in a impact driven sense. Absolutely, and when you're serving other people who pay for your services, they yes. win because that's where the real transformation is happening. I mean, there's so much here, right? There's that pervasive phrase of you talking about charity before of giving back. Well, that kind of suggests that you were taking and making mm. money is not taking, right? I yeah. mean, there's so much in the 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 cultural and the lingo and the that that we've internalized and we don't even realize that affects how we relate to money. Something I wish I had learned about money growing up is that it's available to everyone and that it's not hard to make. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. That's a big one. Money, spiritual or physical? I wanted to say both. Yeah. I think as a human, I walk the line very um, well of being, I can be practical and I got a lot of what I say, woo, spiritual energy. So I think it can be both. There's the practical side of it where we, you know, we have credit, we have to look at our bank accounts, we have all of that. But there's a lot of spiritual in the background that happens to get to that point. You know, in Judaism, we we learn that somebody else's physical needs are your spiritual work, right? When you're Ooh, feeding yeah. somebody else, that's very physical. When you're putting somebody else through school, you're giving them their livelihood, you're putting them that's your spiritual work right there. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, something I splurge on unapologetically is my hair. <laughs> I'm sitting here the whole time like, oh, I need to get it done again. I've always loved splurging on my hair and shoes. 
but like sneakers. Like I'm like a, a Converse Nike sneaker girl. Um, I love sh- hair and shoes. I love that. I love that. Heather Chauvin, spender or saver? Um, I would say spender. I do like to save though. I like to be prepared for the future, but I would definitely, I'm a justifier. So I can just, if someone's like, do you want to go on this really cool trip? I'm going to say yes. I'm always up for an adventure. Yeah. I, I always say left to my own devices. Definitely a spender, but I've trained myself. Reproductive genetic testing before marriage has been a widely accepted practice in our community for decades. And because of this, fewer babies have been born with genetic diseases. The process really works. I've done it, and so will my children one day, please God. But with the advances in modern technology, there's even more we could be doing, and JScreen is here to help. JScreen provides affordable at-home testing and genetic counseling via telehealth. Their testing panel consists of over 200 conditions and was carefully designed with the health of the Jewish community in mind. And did you know that Ashkenazi Jewish men and women face a 1 in 40 risk of carrying mutations in the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes? This is more than 10 times the risk in the general population. When a person knows they carry one of these mutations before they develop cancer, they can take advantage of available options for medical management and cancer risk reduction. This test saves lives. Whether kids are in your future or you want to know your risk of cancer, take control. Genetic testing saves lives. Go to jscreen.org today and claim $50 off testing with the code JLP50. That's jscreen.org code JLP50. Hey, are you sick and tired of attracting the wrong people, wasting time on dead-end relationships, and wondering how come other areas of your life can be so great while your dating life is so disappointing? Is this the year that you want all that to change? It's time to try a radically new approach. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is a definition of insanity, period. Sign up for the free masterclass, the five powerful shifts to quit attracting the wrong men and finally summon your soulmate at meettomarry.com forward slash Jewish love masterclass. There you'll learn from Barry Lyman, founder of the Meet to Marry method, endorsed by author and educator Steve Covey as smart, principled, and engaging. Ready for change? Ready to finally find your soulmate? You know you are. Sign up for the free masterclass at meettomarry.com forward slash Jewish love masterclass. Finally, I'm Heather Chauvin, and today I feel most grateful for. Hmm. I feel most grateful for my perseverance to continue, and also I want to say critical thinking, but mm. it means just really not taking everything that everyone has told me of who I need to be or how I need to live or act and questioning it mm. um, and acting according to what I want and desire. I'm incredibly grateful for that and my mental health. Beautiful. And before I ask you where we can find you, because we definitely want to keep connecting with you and hear more of your message and all, all, every, all things Heather Chauvin, what you have to offer. I have to ask you this question because, and it's regarding time management, because I don't know if we talked about it, you and I talked about it, or I heard you talk about it, but this idea that pre-cancer, you were like, one of those women, like so many of us, I don't have time. I don't have time. And the signs were there, right? And you were taking care of all the other things and everybody else. How I'm I'm assuming that your relationship with time is now radically different. So for those of us who like you have 168 hours in a week, and yet we have a to-do list of 500 hours, which is absolutely ridiculous. What can, what tips can you give us? What, uh, help us here with our relationship with time, which I know you've probably mastered at this point. Hmm. Well, first my value is not dictated by my to-do list. Hmm. So just because it's on my calendar or a list does not, and it, whether it gets done or does not get done, um, has nothing to do with my worth. 
And there's a lot of data in there, a lot of like telling of why I'm not doing it or why I'm overdoing it. So mm-hmm. realizing that our um, our worth is not attached to our to-do list is huge. Um, there's also something I talk about called the million dollar minute. And I think it's appropriate for, you know, a podcast that talks about time or money. Um, if every 60 seconds of your life was worth $1 million, would you invest it differently? So mentally to myself, I say even the tiny, tiny things, you know, someone is asking for something from me or, Hey, would you like to go for a coffee? I would, or I will buy you a meal. Will you like all the things I now see that coming in and say, can I have you know, a hundred million dollars. Can I have $10 million? And when I frame it in that sense, because as a culture, we value money more than time. So when I put it that way, I get a very clear answer of, um, you know, thank you for thinking of me, not right now. I don't have the capacity for that. And it has completely shifted how I um, value my time and invest my time. I absolutely love that. The million dollar minute. I will take that. Um, I, I will take that perspective. And I'm sure listeners will appreciate that. So tell us where we can find you and learn more about what you do. Yeah. So I hang out a lot on my podcast, which is called Mom is in Control. And a lot of people think that's funny because they're like, you're not in control. And I'm like, but that's what everybody wants. So I Mm -hmm. teach you a different form of control, which is from the inside out, Instagram at my name at Heather Chauvin. And uh, the book Dying to Be a Good Mother can be found on Audible or anywhere books are sold online. Amazing. Thank you so much, Heather. Really. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Heather Chauvin for stopping by. You can find her at heatherchauvin.com and you can subscribe to her podcast, Mom is in Control, on your favorite podcast app. You can get her book, Dying to be a Good Mother, How I Dropped the Guilt and Took Control of My Parenting and My Life on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for writing in. Also, you're so sweet. You're really responding to my emails. I'm glad you're getting them. I love writing them. As I've told you, I don't delegate that. <laughs> if you're not in my newsletter yet, you probably want to be. Get in on jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash newsletter. I do interact with my audience there a lot. Not spammy at all valuable content, sometimes short, sweet, sometimes a little lengthier if it's something important that you need to know. But usually it's just once a week, maybe something short a second time a week. So not spending at all. And the open rate for those emails is over 30%. It's mind blowing. It's really, really high. I appreciate you. I really do. And I love getting your emails back. So keep keep doing that. It's great to engage. On a similar note, I'm in the process of crafting my winter program and I've been asking a ton of questions via email and via Instagram and you've been giving me feedback questions on what your needs are what's your preferred way of learning all that stuff what are you struggling with when it comes to your finances and and all of it and the program is called Jewish Money Makeover it will be opening this winter it's a good idea to get in on the wait list for that and you simply do that at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash wait list my life um, aside from this podcast and some writing yes I have some writing I need to talk to you guys about but not not right now (laughs) I won't let the cat out of the bag is that how they say it yet um so my life is full with bat mitzvah preparations it's a month till my daughter's bat mitzvah i'm sure you'll be hearing a lot more about that throughout the month this week we'll have another mini-sode and of course ask yael this friday send in those questions via email or dm on instagram have a fabulous week and remember your jewish money matters